Well, good morning. Uh, great to be with you this morning. I'm way over here, but we don't want to block the screen. Uh, welcome to the people up there. Right. Uh, joy to be here. They, I can't believe it. We're going back to Ontario tomorrow. No, Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, glad I've got so. Who's here from Ontario? Let me just. We got some supporters here. I just brought a little crowd in because, you know, when you've got all these Americans around you, you get nervous. Thank you for coming. Uh, I'm from Hamilton, a long way away from. Oh, Kitchener. Yeah, you're, I have many friends in Kitchener. But anyway, let's get moving. I, uh, oh, boy, I'm really excited today because we're continuing to talk about the God we can trust. Remember last week we talked about God's wisdom and power. God is all wise. God is all powerful. Today is faithfulness, especially if you're in trouble. God's faithfulness. And a grand climax tonight, I wish I could do it now. It's so exciting. It's God's plans. And that's where we're going. God's faithfulness this morning. And if you put wisdom, power, and faithfulness together with great plans, how can you not trust God? And that's what we're trying to do in this series. Get you to really trust God. And one of the things you need to have in mind is that he's faithful. You see, the thing is, God is all-wise, God's all-powerful, but when it comes down to fully trusting him in all of life's often difficult circumstances, we sometimes need some reassurance that whatever happens, whatever happens, he's going to be totally faithful. And so I want to start, as I usually do as a retired teacher, I like to be clear what I'm talking about. What does it mean to be faithful? Now the kids have left, but I thought, I'm going to use a kid's story. Some of you are ready for a bit of basic teaching, aren't you? Who's heard of Dr. Zeus? Dr. Zeus. He's not in any of the assemblies as far as I know, but if you're a parents or a grandparents, you have got to know about Dr. Zeus who writes these great stories, one of them which was Horton Hatches an Egg. Now the reason I'm telling you this is that there was a bird called Maisie who was a bit lazy and she asked this poor Horton just to sit on her egg for a while. Well, she took a break, but she came to Florida. Well, you know what happens in Florida? You have such a good time, you don't want to go home and she decided she's never going to return to the nest. So days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and Horton kept sitting there day after day. Actually, winter came. They won't know anything about winter, but you understand this. Winter came, icicles hung from Horton's trunk and feet, and you know what he said? He said, I'll stay on this egg and I won't let it freeze, because he said with a sneeze, because he said, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Well, I can't speak for all elephants, but I do know that this great little story for kids reminds us what faithfulness is. He was faithful to his promise to Lazy Maisie, but listen, the word faithful means, and when we now get serious and apply that to God, God said what he meant. And he meant what he said, and this means there are no circumstances no circumstances that can arise that prevent him doing what he said. And that's what being faithful is. Got it? God said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And of course, we live in a world where it's not like that. 
We live in a world where people are unfaithful. Well, you know what it means to be unfaithful now, but I've got to use my friends Charlie and Lucy again, because Lucy's unfaithful. Again she does it, always does this. Here we go, Charlie Brown, I'll hold the ball, you come running, and you kick it, and Charlie falls for it again, and whomp, because she was unfaithful. And we live in a world of unfaithfulness, where so often you can't rely on what on people to do what they say. What a contrast with God. I want you to move away from all that worldly, unfaithful uncertainty and contrast that with what Scripture teaches about our faithful God. Because God, I mean, God is not human, of course. Not, Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. And it says this, does God speak? and then not act. Does he promise and not fulfill? Rhetorical question, you know the answer. The Old Testament's full of it. Deuteronomy 7, I know that the Lord your God is what a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those that love him. Interesting two verses, and already have met two words that go with faithfulness, promise and covenant. Just as a little aside for the Bible students here, let me just say, what's the difference between a promise and a covenant? Just a little little word on that, because, um, of course, they both tell me God's faithful. You see, all covenants involve promises, of course, but not every promise constitutes a covenant. So I just want to mention that God is faithful long term. You see, these things we call covenants in the Old Testament and through the Bible, they mark major decisions. They spell out his long-term commitments to take certain future actions and a long-term commitment, a big commitment, comes tonight. We're going to talk about his plans. And a lot of covenants in the Bible with Noah. He covenanted with all life on earth. You can rely on him not flooding the earth. That's a covenant promise. Abraham. God's covenant was to bless Abraham's descendants and through them all nations. That's why all of us, whatever racial background we are, can get in on the act of God's blessing. To Moses, God's covenanted. He said, I'm going to covenant to be the God of Israel and you're going to be God's people. And of course, the great covenant to David, that, that David's house would sustain kingship over Israel and of course, give rise to the Messiah. And of course, the great new covenant that we can share that Christ's blood opens God of, God's plan of salvation to all people and all nations. That's a sideline course, but it's just to remind you that God's made big commitments, huge plans, long-term plans. Promise and covenant both say the same thing, that God is faithful. But what I want to get across this morning, you see, because God's faithful in all circumstances, and actually, as you go to the Bible, the context of God's faithfulness in Scripture is often in trials and pain. Now, that, 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 that reassurance that you can trust God, who always keeps his promises, is fantastic. But you see, the reality of life is such that sometimes it, it seems a bit theoretical, because we find ourselves going through times of inexplicable and real difficulty. 
I might mention later, you know, Jane and I have been through real challenges with unexpected bereavements. And it's tough to really embrace this truth about God's faithfulness when we're going through the grief of a bereavement or the pain of a sickness or the uncertainty that losing a job brings or or the depression that comes from a broken, close, close relationship. And if you discover you have cancer or you lose your job or some tragedy happens, you go, What's, is God faithful? Now, I've got to tell you, I, as I've gone around universities in former years, many atheists have challenged me over the years by saying, look, you say God is all-wise, you say God is all-powerful, you claim this, well, why on earth doesn't he just eliminate suffering and pain and destroy evil and all that stuff and bring this wonderful world that you talk about now? And that's because of that challenge, actually, and the reality of trouble in life, that I thought, I'm going to make difficulties and trials and inexplicable pain the starting point in our explanation of God's faithfulness. Because that's the context. Because we all encounter circumstances that bring sadness and pain. You can't go through life with a big smile all the time and notice, but that's not the reality. There are preachers out there that enthusiastically proclaim this teaching, not in the Bible, but they say the evidence of God's faithfulness is shown that everything goes well in your life. They present the Christian life as if it was all sunshine, no storms. Preachers' wives always sunshine. Well, after the rain, there is sunshine, but hey, that's... You see, these people that talk about God promising a rose garden experience forget a lot of things. They forget, for example, that continuous sunshine only produces a desert. But there are so many people, you know, I had some neighbors who were in the Christian Science Organization, not scientific or particularly Christian, but, but they taught that, that the peop- for people who believe, pain's imaginary, and it can be overcome, just, just think positively and all that stuff. I came across a, a clever limerick, I love this, that said a Christian scientist from Teal said, I know my pain is not real. When I sit on a pin and it punctures my skin, I dislike what I fancy I feel. (laughs) You see, um, there's no biblical basis for the view that presents a Christian life as one where we always live prosperous, healthy, trouble-free lives. And uh, actually, you know, In medicine, pain has real value as a warning system. It's a mistake to remove it. You know, uh, many years ago now, I can't even remember, I got this incredible pain in my shoulder. Turned out it was angina pain. And they did, uh, you know, all that stuff. And they discovered I had blockages in my arteries. I didn't know. And he said, you've only got 10% blood flow to your heart. What a blessing that pain was. I'm jumping about still today, even at my age, because the pain revealed the problem and the doctor sorted it out. Olympic athletes, they know that pain's worth it in training. It's necessary. What? Because of the improvement it brings. So don't ask God just to remove all the pain. And remember, remember, God wanted us to love him by free choice. And a little theology here, if people say, why does God allow evil? Remember, 
He gave us a free will. And the big problem the Bible presents right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden is that we made the wrong choices. And a necessary consequence of God giving us a free choice is a fallen world. We live in a fallen world in which evil exists. Why does evil exist? Because our desire to have it our own way. And it has many, many tragic consequences. And you say, why could, would God do that? I want you to understand it. God wants you to respond to him freely. You know, I just remarried and I, and I, <laughs> I gotta tell you, who would want a wife that was like a robot? Could you love a robot wife? Only kiss you automatically when you press the button. Came with a little button pushing guy. I feel like a kiss. I'll press it. You wouldn't want that. I sometimes smile at my wife and I don't get a kiss because, well, that's something she can withhold. It's because we want love to be open and willingly given. And would God want less? You see, the reality is, and Jesus said it, John 16 said, in the world you will have trouble. Of course, he then went on to say, take heart, I have overcome the world. We can't take seriously what Jesus said. It's all through the scripture. Scripture recognizes that suffering and trials are the normal expectation for Christians. Read First Peter. They were really persecuted. And Peter wrote to them. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come to you to test you. Note the word test you. As though something strange was happening to you. See, he said, fiery trials, difficulties, they were seen by the early Christians as the norm, not the ex- exception. It's only our comfy, pain-free life in North America that, 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 that seems to say it's strange to have trouble. But no Christian exec- is exempt from that cause and effect principle that operates in a fallen world. So that grief, painful challenges significant trials, they'll continue to be set as part of the reality of life. And of course, as you get older, you get more. I have pains in my shoulder again now, but it's not angina. It's just all that stuff, arthritis and stuff. It happens. And Peter talked about it a lot. 2 Peter 1, 7, you know, he said, trials and suffering. Well, it's like gold refining. He said, if you get impure or, and you heat it in a crucible, it removes the worth, worthless dross, and it leaves a pure gleaming gold. In other words, and I'll talk about this at the end of my talk, when you're beginning to sleep, I'll say the most important things. Bad timing, but hey, we're going to talk about that more. But he, he talked about that a lot. 1 Peter 1, he said, look, you now suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He said, but there's a reason for that. We'll talk about more reasons later, but it's so that the genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, refined by fire, so that that may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. Great analogy. You know, I was surfing the internet last night, I came across a lovely little video clip of a... I thought, this is a good way of making some money. There was a guy who goes around sweeping floor at dentists. All that stuff that comes out on the drill. And what he does, he gets the precious metals out of it. And how does he do it? He gets, this is what scripture said, you refine like silver. He this just simply puts them. He says that'll take some time. He hardly heard it. 
And it does take time for God to do his job. For you, God tested us, refined us like silver, said the scripture. It doesn't overnight. But look at this. What's in that crucible? I didn't show the whole thing. I saw him putting floor sweepings in there. <laughs> From the dentist's floor. And he refined them. He put them through the crucible. The thing that Peter talked about happens in our lives. And you'd be amazed what happens. And there we have all the slag and all the metal. And you can see how easily the metal separates from the slag. Precious metals released from the slag. Oh, man, Scripture says, when he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. Now, we're going to get more into that, but don't think trials are worthless. If you're in a crucible right now, and huge trials... There are common experiences in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'll give you a classic example. You've all sung Great Is Thy Faithfulness. You love that song. They are new every morning. But you forget the context. The context of that is lamentations. An incredibly sad lament from Jeremiah. He's utterly downcast. And he says this in, in Lamentations 3. He said, I remember my affliction. He says, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them. My soul's downcast within me. We can't skip over that. Then he says, yet, yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. We may go through the crucible, but hey, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. That's the context for saying, great is thy faithfulness. And I want you to notice this. You've got hope. That's the one thing. I always say to an atheist, I have hope. Where's your hope? And the silence. Because there's no hope. And I want to tell you, as we look at this passage, I want you to note carefully that Jeremiah did something in his sadness and despair. He called to mind. He made an effort to remember God's great love and faithfulness. How God showed his concern by making his presence known on a daily basis. That's why your quiet time is important. Don't rush into the day, never looking at God's word, never spending time in prayer. Because that quiet time helped you to recognize God's real presence. And hope came to Jeremiah when instead of brooding on his woes, he changed his focus and he thought about God's character as a loving and faithful God and that gave him hope. And I want to say to you this morning, in your difficulties, you rest on what you know about God from his word. You know about God's character. And if you think about his character, you'll soon realize you can trust him. Because we look, God is always true to himself. God's immutable. God's consistent. And you know that. And when you're attempting to change your focus, and you're trying to, to call to mind God's character, and you find it hard to do it, you remember especially one thing. You remember the Lord Jesus. And remember what we said last week. Won't go through last week. I've hardly time to say this week's, but God's a father who does not change. It's the only God, James said, he gives good and perfect gifts. He's completely reliable. And he has plans for ultimate good. We'll talk about them tonight. But remember this, especially what Christ prayed when he faced the cross. He was in the presence of his faithful, loving Father. And yet he suffered great agony. And he prayed, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
and you know the eternal blessings that, that came from the suffering that was inflicted on Christ's beloved Son. And it's because of the Lord's suffering, which astoundingly was the key to God's plan, that in our troubles we have what Hebrews said, a high priest who's able to empathize with our weaknesses. We don't have one who's unable to empathize, puts it that way. So don't let trials and pain cause you to doubt God's concern. God is concerned, God is faithful, and he will remain with us. And that's a very important truth. And, and unbelief and atheism and all those things leads people without any knowledge of God's plans and therefore without hope. And you always have hope. And remember, when you're calling things to mind, and you think about the Lord Jesus, one of the great names given to Jesus was Emmanuel. Hey, Christmas seems a long way away now. Do you remember the snow at Christmas in Ontario? Didn't get much this year, but hey, it seems that what, what was the promise? It means God with us. God with us. And in every circumstance, that's true. I told you, Jane and I went through some tough times. She lost a brother and sister-in-law in a tragic accident and on the way to the funeral where the special needs daughter had been taken to hospital and all three were taken within a month and we were devastated on this plane flying to a tragic double funeral with wondering what's happening to the daughter. And God put us in the front seat of the first class. I paid the cheapest ticket at goodbye and we had time to cry and pray. And when we got to the funeral home, we found one of the elders from Ontario showed up in a wonderful way. And I said, we can't arrange this stuff. How did all this stuff happen that just helped us? And Jane said, God tapped us on the shoulder. He's tapping us on the shoulder to say, I'm there, I'm there. If you need the seat to pray and cry, you get the seat. If you need your special elder from Ontario to be there, he'll be there. And you can't arrange this stuff. And it's incredible. And it's just God's presence. And it's detail. I know it's detail, but you've got to look for it. You see, that's why Psalm 23 is such a comfort and help, even in death, because of that wonderful assurance, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't feel why, because you're with me. And it's especially encouraging. This remains true. Listen, you've got a sinner preaching this morning, by the way. Sometimes unfaithful, and it remains true even when you're unfaithful. If we are faithless, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2, he remains faithful, for he can't disown himself. And that's the bottom line. God is consistent. God sticks by his promises. And this gives us certainty that God's faithfulness will ensure that in our trials and griefs and difficulties, there will in the end be blessing. And the real proof, you know, the real proof of God's faithfulness is the end game. All the blessing that flows, like from the cross. What was the end game for the cross? That's the clinching evidence. Because God's goal isn't suffering. God's goal is growth and blessing. We'll talk about it tonight. But the real test of whether the way God has taken you in life is the best way is obviously the outcome. It's a pure gold at the end of the process that counts. And God's faithfulness is only validated when we look back with 2020 hindsight and, and say, was God faithful to me? Now, it's fortunate when you've lived a long time like I have, 
you can look back and say, oh yes, 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 he was faithful. In fact, if you know much about me, you know I've had some experiences that were unwelcome. <clears throat> but I've got to tell you now that God used them in my life for growth and blessing because that's God's goal, to help us grow and to bless us. And looking back, I can look back over more years than most of you, many of you, God was faithful all the time. And I said, I wouldn't be who I am if these unwelcome events hadn't happened. I'll perhaps illustrate that before we finish, but it's very important that we try to understand the purposes of God when as a faithful father, he allows unwelcome things to come into our lives. So what I'm going to do, because they said I can go to quarter past, that's the rules, only 15 minutes, <laughs> but get seated, hold on tight, because I am going to consider quickly six possible purposes. So long you listen that, we've only time for six. Six possible purposes, all based on what the Bible teaches. But I've got to tell you, testimony validated by my personal experience over many years. This isn't just kind of theology one-on-one theory. This is reality. This is what happens. Reasons why God allows afflictions. And my testimony is that afflictions are never a sign of God being unfaithful. They're never a sign of God being unfaithful. There may be many things. There may be a loving father's training. There may be an aid to spiritual growth. There may be a resource for helping others. They may be a help in developing Christ's likeness. They may be a valuable test of our faith. Uh, they certainly will be an encouragement to take an eternal perspective. And this is only the beginning of the list, but I'll talk about these briefly. And I'll, I'll remind you of them at the end, because it's hard to remember a six-point sermon, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, loving Father's training, an aid to spiritual growth, a resource for helping others, a help in developing Christ's likeness, a valuable test of our faith, an encouragement to take an eternal perspective. Man, there's a lot of stuff that might be going on that we forget about. Let's look at them quickly. God's purposes in suffering... Well, it could be a loving father's training. You know, I have two kids. My son now is a respectable 50-year-old adult. And, uh, and, uh, but he was a youngster once, and it was a challenge. Uh, he knows I tell stories about him. If he catches it on the internet, I won't get into trouble. But i got to tell you, on one occasion, when he was just a little guy, maybe six or seven, he got together with a bunch of boys, and only the people from Canada will understand this, because you live in this warm, sunny place, but we have heating systems in the basement. And in those days, we used to have oil tanks to, to feed the first. And this guy, my son, got together with his boys, and they shoved all dirt down the heating oil in that pipe of the neighbor's house. Well, in the middle of winter, that causes a lot of trouble. It was a huge kerfuffle. Now, this, this was a day when life was different, and discipline involved not just a short grounding, it involved something so old-fashioned, so unacceptable today, you won't have heard of it, but I, I lived in the old days, it was called spanking. <laughs> Good old spanking. Now, he was the only one in that group of kids that I could discipline. I couldn't go around spanking all the kids. Even in those days, I'd have been in jail. But you see, they weren't my sons. I had to ignore them. But in Adrian's case, I don't have to tell you how I disciplined Adrian. You can guess. But it was only him. Why? Because he was the only one in that group of boys who was loved, desperately loved. He was my son, my child. 
And scripture is clear that one of the ways we know we're God's child is that he loves us so much that sometimes he disciplines us in a way that scripture says seems painful. So scripture is clear. Don't you make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines who? The one he loves. He chastens everyone. He accepts as his child. Same principle as I used in sorting out my son. And in fact, verse 10 of Hebrews 12 said, God disciplines us for our good. That's what God wants. For our good in order to, that we may share in his holiness. Of course, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. But listen, later on, and it's that later on you've got to focus on, later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. And it's a later on we have to focus on. Even Jesus said that. What did he Scripture says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He knew about later on, and we've got to focus on that. So, Father's discipline, not a purpose in suffering, an important aid to spiritual growth. It's about the harvest in the end. You see, experiences in life change us. Whatever happens, whenever something new happens, whatever it is, you learn something you didn't know before. Every experience teaches us something. And amazingly, and I used to struggle with this, that's true in some sense, even of the Lord Jesus. Because Hebrews 5.8 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. I used to say, well, an omnipotent Christ, one who's perfect and equal with God, he can't learn anything new. And then I remembered that at the physical level, nothing existed for most of eternity. I mean, the universe popped into existence when God spoke at a point in time. And so all through eternity, there was nothing there in physical terms. So in actual experience, suffering was new for Christ. And of course, in enduring it, he showed his perfect humanity. And it was in suffering torture and separation from God and death for us as sinners that Christ had entered into new experiences. Living through physical things he'd never felt before. So in this way, he learned something that was to sympathize with us because having experienced it all, Christ could in a new and unique way understand the sufferings we humans endure because he knew what it felt like. And that's important. Of course, it's different for us because um, we can learn things from suffering because, well, we learn things only experience can teach us, but we're far from perfect, unlike Jesus, sinless. So we learn in addition to grow and improve. We become more mature. So we get a double whammy. A little bonus, we can become mature, as well as experiencing something new. Because suffering always changes us. I mean, if you suffer, you either become better or bitter. Those are the choices. And what God's working for is through our troubles and difficulties to make us better. Better. So it's an aid to spiritual growth. And the other wonderful thing I've found particularly... Oh, let me put this verse in because there's a whole book on the Bible on suffering. Can't do it now. But remember what Job said. 
Paul did he suffer? He said, when he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. Remember the crucible. When he's tested me, I'll come through as gold. I forgot I put that verse in because I want to get onto what I have found is it's a great resource to help others. You see, I'm a much better intensive care pastoral visitor because I get bypass surgery. I've been on a ventilator. I've had my son passing out in the ICU and they said, oh, he's not breathing himself. It's a machine doing it. <laughs> but I'm better equipped to respond. I'm better equipped to respond to the bereaved because of that enormous grief I experienced when Vivian, my wonderful wife of 50 years, Two years experienced unexpected death shortly after leaving you about four years ago. Now God's brought new blessing and Jane is here and all that. But man, was that an experience? And in experiencing God's faithfulness, going through these most unwelcome trials, God's used them to make me better, improve spiritually. So when I talk to a brother who's lost his wife, I'm a different man. I've had other experiences. Let's not go into them, but... You know, think of Joseph. He enjoyed, he was thrown into the pit, he was unjustly imprisoned, everything went wrong and he didn't deserve it. But he was later mightily used by God to, he didn't just help his family, all Egypt. And how was he equipped to do this? Because all through his dreadful experiences, pit and prison and the lot, he saw God's hand at work. He trusted his faithful God. It's an incredible story. And the wonderful outcome is that he was able to display God's glory to unbelievers and took charge in Egypt. And he testified in the end, what did he say then? He says, God controlled everything. When his brothers came and there's that moving act of forgiveness, brings tears to my eyes, he said to them, oh, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Man, what a testimony. And ultimate good is always God's intention. Now, you don't seek suffering. Who wants them? But when they come, remember, God's intention is for good and trust Him that in His faithfulness, He'll fulfill His purpose and bring blessing as a final outcome. And one of those blessings is it's a help in developing Christ's likeness. I love these words in the psalm. It says, very positive value of affliction is summarized. Affliction keeps us on track. And this, this verse says it, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Isn't that it? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. See, God's goal in our lives is to keep us on track, to develop qualities in us that, that reflect Christ's character. You think of the Apostle Paul, great experience. Paul had a wonderful mountaintop experience. It's a highlight of his life. It was incredible. You read 1, 2 Corinthians 12, he had a special revelation from the Lord. He had an out-of-body experience. He said, I was caught up into the third heaven. I heard inexpressible things. I mean, it was amazing. But Paul recognized that the faithful God who gave this great experience to him was the same one who gave him afflictions. Why? To keep his attitude right. To preserve his humility. So he wrote this, he said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, this great experience that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh to torment me. Paul's tormented. And he said, I pleaded with God three times, take it away from me. 
but it didn't happen. He said, well, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, God, by giving Paul this unwelcome gift of affliction, was helping him deal with pride and boasting, and we all need that. So there are many reasons why a faithful God allows affliction. I want to mention two more time flies, but it's a valuable test of our faith. I've got to do this quick, but you think of Abraham. The worst thing you could ever do is to lose a child. We've been through that. Uh, Abraham demonstrated, I'm going to bear one of the greatest losses of all, losing a son. And he proved in his willingness to do that how genuine his faith was. Of course, God provided a way out. He always does. Don't forget what Scripture says, that God controls the situation and he's faithful and you know that Abraham didn't have to sacrifice Isaac because as 1 Corinthians 10.13 said, God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted. Be warned what you can bear because he will also provide a way out so you can enjoy it. That's what Abraham discovered. God is faithful. And the last thing, it's such an encouragement to take an eternal perspective. You see, it's, it, you know, it's really tragic if it's in your affliction you allow waiting for a resolution of your problems to induce doubt in God's faithfulness. I've got to tell you, when the night seems long, it doesn't mean the promise of sunrise is broken. You see, affliction, I've got to, there's a girl embracing a new car. She's so happy she got this car. But I've got to tell you, affliction is more effective than a charm life in showing us what we really love. You see, when it comes to the crunch, if you get a fatal a faithful diagnosis or suffer a huge bereavement, that new car with leather seats and that big screen TV with surround sound that you thought was so important, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Because it's difficulties and trouble that lead us to eagerly embrace what God's love God's promises, recognizing it's not really now that counts, it's then. That momentous moment when we stand in God's presence. And Paul talked about it, he said, you see our light and momentous troubles there, they're achieving eternal glory, and it far outweighs them all. And we've got to take an eternal perspective. So, so look, be ready to learn. God allows things to come into your life. It may be a loving father's training, it may be an aid to spiritual growth, a resource for helping others, a help in developing Christ's likeness, a valuable test of our faith, but it should always be an encouragement to take an eternal perspective. And so my call to you, as we finish this morning, and take it seriously, is to hold unswervingly to the hope. Remember, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10.13 God is faithful. All his promises will be kept. So clear. 1 Thessalonians 5. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. He will do it. And the ultimate promise, I, I always seem to read in the breaking of bread what's on my heart for the family Bible, but it's there. Look, he that spared not his own son, delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him Freely give us all things. How can you doubt? Trust God, especially when you hear his plans. May God help us to do that.
And now let's just give a benediction from, from the words of Paul. This is what Paul said, and this is our heart. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, the God who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So may God keep you strong to the end, because the God who called you, called you into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. Lord, help us to grasp that and hold unwaveringly to it, and we ask it in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Tonight, God's plans. We're getting into the peak behind the door in Revelation. It's big picture stuff. Try to join us.